0: This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. It was October 1991. I was 24 years old, and I was running my first Chicago Marathon. At a mile, mile 12, I started to cry. This was not from physical pain. That would happen in my second Chicago Marathon. But instead... In that moment, in this race, alongside thousands of other runners, running through Chinatown, I had an undeniable encounter with Jesus. I was crying because I had visited upon me amidst this race that I had prepared for for months, an unexplainable closeness to God. I was crying because running had become a thing in my life that represented loss. Running and my love for running, which I had fostered since I was age 11, had actually at that point in my life become a kind of death. This was because it was something that I had loved dearly, but due to my own anxieties about running and competition, due to my parents' divorce, which began in my late high school years, concluded in my college years, due to these things and the effect that it had on me, especially the sport of running, I had lost my ability to do it well, and in due time I had lost my love for it altogether. The sport of racing, the sport of running have become symbolic of even greater loss that I just mentioned, the loss of my family that occurred in the loss of my parents' marriage. I struggled for years to find a way to articulate or describe to others who themselves had not gone through divorce or who themselves were not children of divorce what it was like and why it shook me so hard and still does. It wasn't until I came across these words by fiction writer Pat Conroy where he described divorce as this, the death of a small civilization. And since then, I have known not only that death of a small civilization, but several other deaths of small civilizations. Every time a man or woman, a child made in the image of God dies, or the death of a small civilization in that person alone, every time a relationship that we've loved and flourished in inexplicably perhaps, goes sour and strange and twisted. There's a loss of a small civilization that was represented in that friendship. Every time, there's a profound loss of physical health, a chronic, debilitating physical mishap. There's a sense of a loss of a small civilization that once was when we were in our body and strong. The death, perhaps, of a long-awaited hope. Oh, there is the great death, that all of us will one day face. But there are so many deaths, losses of small civilizations that we will encounter in this life. How do we live a life that is so full of loss? And how does believing that these things happened, how does believing in Jesus' death and his resurrection help us in this life of loss. If you believe in Jesus, if you're here because you even desire to believe in Jesus, there is a way through the life of loss into the life of fullness. We who live this life that can be so full of deaths can find a way to face these deaths. Previously, in Holy Weeks, I have taught that the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection as he transforms our ultimate death, our physical death, from a peril to a passage. But today, on this Good Friday, I want to teach out of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 15, that the gift of Jesus' death and resurrection and that he transforms our smaller deaths, but indeed our great losses, from something that would break us to something that can bond us with him. That indeed in the death of Jesus, the bodily death of Jesus, and the bodily resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he transforms that which would break us that which perhaps has broken us, to that which can bond us. Our teacher today, of course, is the Lord Jesus, for he teaches even in his death. And make no mistake, Jesus died Are you clear? Jesus was a corpse. The Son of God had no breath in him, no pulse. Let him teach us. And let us also learn from men and women of courage in this account, particularly Joseph and then Mary Magdalene. For as in the Joseph of Arimathea, you can turn now in your bulletins or open your Bibles to Mark chapter 15, another account of the crucifixion. Ty ministered to us the John account. We'll look at the Mark account. Here we see Joseph of Arimathea, he who holds the dead body of Jesus in his arms. How do we make our way through this sequence of loss and deaths within this life? Well, first we learn to hold, as Joseph did, the dead body of Jesus. Please don't don't detach yet. I know that phrase is arresting. I will teach about it. We learn to hold the dead body of Jesus. We learn to heed Jesus as the Lord of our losses and deaths. And we learn to hear the Easter bells ring before they're sounded. What do I mean by hold the dead body of Jesus? Why would I use a phrase like that? I don't mean so physically. That was appointed to Joseph of Arimathea. He did literally hold the body of Jesus in his hands. Was appointed to us as those who follow Jesus and can imitate Joseph of Arimathea. As we learn to spiritually hold the reality of his death. We learn to spiritually, with courage, face the dead body of our Lord. Look with me in Mark 15. This is the last section of the account of the crucifixion. Look specifically at verses 43, 44, and 45. We read of Joseph of Arimathea. He's a respected member of the council. He's a part of the Sanhedrin. He's a Jewish leader. We have every reason to believe that he was actually involved in the original council just several verses back that delivered Jesus to Pilate. We don't know what his particular role was in that council. he was a part of the Jewish council, a a theologian, a leader, a thinker, an influencer in the nation of Israel. He's respected. We would also say he's looking for the kingdom of God. And let me assure you, if you are willing to look for the kingdom of God, you must take courage to look first at the dead body of Jesus, which I can assure you will rise again. But first we look at his dead body as we look for the kingdom of God for the mystery of the kingdom is that our master, our Lord, has died. And in looking for the kingdom of God, he goes, taking courage, we see in verse 43, and asks for the body of Jesus. Mark, in his writing, wants to emphasize this, Paul was surprised to hear that he should have already died, verse 44. He summons a centurion to ask whether he was already dead, second part of verse 44. He learns from the centurion that he was dead. You hear the repetition that Mark is employing. He wants you to have absolutely, absolute clarity within his diction and use of language. Dead, dead, dead. And if he we weren't clear enough at that point, he grants In an amazing literary moment, not the body to Joseph, but the corpse. I'll never forget when I saw a dead man. I've seen the dead in hospital rooms, I've seen the dead in in bedrooms where they've breathed their last breath. I'll never forget walking up the road in Rio de Janeiro with my wife Catherine visiting the country she grew up in, Brazil, and we were walking up to Sugarloaf, the great mountain, early in the morning. And there in the middle of the road, as only a body could be twisted, were it not breathing, was a man's body and he was utterly, completely dead. And it was shocking. And that was our Lord's body. Like this man, for some reason who died some night in Rio, so our Lord died one afternoon In Jerusalem and here beloved family of God if you find yourself disconcerted we should be if you find yourself disturbed and disoriented we might be because it's here that we face the great scandal of the Incarnation indeed more than the birth of Jesus at Christmas which is indeed its own kind of scandalous reality without question that God would be born as an infant held by Mary. So now this scandal reaches its zenith, and there's a full-grown man. He has died, and this time not held, perhaps cooing in his mother's arms, but breathless in the arms of Joseph of Arimathea. He who went after the body of Jesus, and then somehow or another, perhaps with ladder or extension, perhaps with the help of others, had to somehow get our Lord's hands off of the nails and his feet from the nails that had held him on that cross. He had to somehow have his limp, breathless body now heavy with no muscle tone whatsoever over his own body, perhaps shifting it so that he could hold the Lord's body in his very hands. How could he not have taken at least a moment to look at this one? who the Roman centurion had just declared, surely this is the Son of God. And he honored him. He took courage. And he wrapped him, as was the custom of the Jews in a linen cloth and he had perhaps others carried him to a stone tomb. Tertullian, African theologian, born a little more than 100 years after the death of Jesus, says this, for which is more unworthy of God Which is more likely to raise a blush of shame from us? That God, emphasized italics, that God should be born or that he should die? What do we do in the reality of this breathless body of our Lord? We take courage. Joseph took courage to go close to the dead body of Jesus. He took courage to indeed even hold the dead body of our Lord. The Romans intended the bodies of criminals like Jesus to be eaten by carrion. Jewish leaders instead wanted Jesus' body to be dishonored in some capacity. He took courage in the face of the Romans. He took courage in the face of the Jewish leaders. But he took courage primarily in his willingness to come close the dead body of our lord and here we too are called to courage here we too realize that perhaps our lord is more willing to be prone that perhaps our lord is more willing to be vulnerable perhaps our lord is more willing to die for us in complete repose than we are to go close to him is it possible that for all of our possible desires to be close to Jesus, he actually desires that he come closer to us than we can even handle him coming near us? That his desire is greater to give himself for us than ours is to even encounter him? And that courage must be asked for by the power of the Holy Spirit that we might come close to how vulnerable he truly has made himself to be, how prone he has made himself to be. But we who will know one day our great death, our f- death of our physical bodies, and we who know the death of so many small civilizations, we're called like Joseph to come close to Jesus. What happens in the losses of our lives? What, what happens in some of the losses that I just mentioned? They're so often marked by a sense of meaninglessness. So often they're marked by a sense of what is happening and, and where did meaning go? I'm just... Here in a whirlwind of pain or a whirlwind of loss or a whirlwind of grief or a whirlwind of dimness or a whirlwind of darkness, what happened to the meanness, what so often happens in the loss of a small civilization. But it is here if we will first, in sequence, if you will, spiritually, in prayer, come to the dead body of our Lord. The church gives us Good Friday, yes, for the crucifixion, of course, but let us not miss the dead body of Jesus that follows that crucifixion and the reality that he lies in repose in a tomb the rest of Friday, Saturday, the Sabbath, waiting to be risen from the dead by his Father in heaven in the ministry of the Holy Spirit on Sunday. The church gives us time to reflect here. For here we discover we will be here And face the death of Jesus. And indeed, if if it's too much for you, then just face his death. But if you can, even imagine in prayer perhaps being in a situation where there's been a great loss. The the anguish of whatever this death of a small civilization has been is is overwhelming. It's regularly visiting you. It's just always there. So first, before you come into prayer, don't come with that yet. Just just come in prayer to this. This. Like Joseph of Arimathea, perhaps you're there just this before the tomb. Perhaps you're there with his body laid out. Perhaps you're there even holding. Even as that beautiful Michelangelo sculpture, the Pieta of Mary holding the body of her son. You go there first. You take courage there first. And then you turn. And then you take this death. You take this loss and you bring that to him. And you know then that there's no way you can be alone in that death. And you know that as you bring this death that you are living in, this loss that you are living in, to him who lost it for you, who died for you, that all of a sudden, there was a tangible, spiritual, profound connection between what Jesus did for you and what you're feeling every hour or on this, or or, or visited by in moments you don't expect. We know that he who died can take any of our deaths. Amen. That he who died can take any of our losses that this is why the prophet Isaiah cries out that it's by his wounds, by his dead body, that we are healed. I ran that marathon right after I had returned to the Lord after four years far from God. It was an act of faith for me to actually give given that which meant loss, to give given that which had meant a death, and trust that somehow would he, could he bring life where there had been so much loss. Now it is very tempting to not go the way of Joseph but instead to actually go the way of of his peers, of his other Jewish leaders. For as they saw Jesus crucified on the cross, as they encountered the dead body of Jesus and just before he died, their response was very different. And indeed it helps us understand the decision that can lie before us. Will we approach the reality of Christ's dead body or will we, as they said, In verse 32 of chapter 15, let the Messiah, they said, the King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Don't we yearn for that? Don't we actually want to say, can we not have a life full of losses? Can we we not have a life full of small, and significant deaths one after another? Can we not need to have a Messiah who dies? Uh, instead, no, 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 how about you come down off the cross, and then I'll believe. How about you give me a life that isn't full of one challenge after another? Because then maybe the way I'll live my life is I'll just live my life hoping that I had one bad thing happen, and nothing bad will ever happen to me again. So maybe I have one misfortune, one tragedy, one crisis, but in a kind of karma idea, everybody has one of those in life. And I did my time, and I got mine done early, perhaps you've reasoned. And maybe it'll never happen again. Somehow there's a, a kind of universe equilibrium and, and I'm in the balanced spot. So just come down off the cross, Jesus. Don't die, Jesus. I don't want a reality like that. If you did that, then I could believe. But that is not the message of the kingdom of God. That is not the message of Jesus of Nazareth. Indeed, his message comes forward so clearly in Romans chapter 14, where Paul teaches what it means to heed the Lord of our deaths. Paul teaches in Romans 14, verse seven, none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. Whether we're in a season where there is no loss, there, there isn't crisis, we, we live that to the Lord. If we're in a season of crisis or, or three, four crisis season in a row, we live that to the Lord. For to this end, Messiah died and lived again, that he might be both the Lord of the living and of the dead, and I would add an application, and of these deaths, and us, these losses of small civilizations. These deaths can break us. There's a character in a wonderful novel I'm reading to my 10-year-old son called The Minnow on the Say." And in this novel, there's a father who, whose son dies in his early 20s. And while he can function very well in the rest of his life, whenever he meets someone that is the age of his son when his son died, he is utterly convinced that it is his son. It's broken him. And he seemingly can't recover. Have you had a loss of a small civilization? A death of some kind. A disruption of some deep hope. It does not need to be meaningless. It can be given and handed to Jesus. For some of us, it may not be we've had crisis. It's just the reality of our sin nature. It's as if a sentence of death. And our sin nature has given over us where we want to be something other than we are. We want to act in ways other than we act. We want to think differently than the thoughts that continue to come upon us. That is an experience of death as well. Or perhaps it's a longing for an era that once was that just culturally speaking is gone. One of the deaths that I deal with besides some of the more significant ones I've mentioned is I actually feel the death of a particular time and era that I grew up in, in this country. It may seem absurd to you, at least to some of you, but I literally can be overwhelmed by longing for a time before the digital revolution. I longed for what it was like to grow up in the 1970s. I know the fashions were bad, but the community was good. It was so different. How we communicated with each other was different. How we talked to one another was different. Friendships were different. How we read and thought was different. Good things have happened. I'm not making it absolutist. But it's a death for me. Perhaps you have felt that if you're north of 50. Will these deaths, whatever they might be, will they break us? Will we be stuck in them like the father who sees every 23 year old young man and thinks it's his son who's died? Or will they bring us to Jesus? You can come to Jesus. The deaths you're experiencing, he knows. He's ready for the losses that you are in. He himself has fully immersed himself in so that you have somewhere to go. You have someone to go to. Indeed, death has the power to break us, and death has the power to bond us. For if we bond with Jesus in his death, we will surely bond with him in his resurrection. Look, as I conclude at this, this final verse of chapter 15, the stone is rolled against the entrance of the tomb, and Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James, Jose, saw where he was laid, So as Joseph had courage to take the dead body, so the women have courage to themselves come close to Jesus. They assume as well that they will be going to his dead body after the Sabbath is over on Saturday, on the day we call Sunday. They assume that they will go with spices, with actually symbols of their loss, with symbols of dead dreams, with symbols of preparing a corpse. But they will go, as Joseph did, with their own form of courage, Mary Magdalene. She will go remembering this rabbi who freed her from seven demons. She will go remembering how much he had given her. But she will go facing what she thinks will be an immense loss. And she will carry the spices, the reality of honoring, and yet loss in her hands. But she will find when she goes ready to face the dead body of Jesus, that he is not there. She will find that he has risen from the dead. She will find that in her courage to face his death, she finds his life. And in her ways to face her own deaths, her own losses, she will find her life. We do not have to act on Good Friday as if Easter is not coming. We're not on that side of revelation, brothers and sisters. We're given the knowledge of both. So while I ask you to take courage with the reality of the dead body of Jesus on this day, you can hear the Easter bells even before they actually ring. I don't know about you, but we have an A word cop in our house, I'm thinking of the A word that we will cry out on Easter morning. I think Father Brett says this, the the word that begins with A and rhymes with booyah. If that word is used in any song during Lent, our 10-year-old reprimands all of us with great dignity and sanctimonious action. He insists that no one shall ever say the A word, including clueless musicians who are streaming on Spotify. Okay, it's part of our practice, and it disciplines our heart. The family of God. The bells are going to ring. And we're gonna go to the tomb, taking with us the courage to face the reality of his death. And we will find, as we take our anguishes, and our losses that life is there for us. Jesus is life, for he is the Lord of our death and he is the Lord of our life. So we're gonna go to the cross throughout the next several hours. Take courage. Bring your deaths to his death. and hear those bells while you do so. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.